The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. The reading this morning is from 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And out of reverence, please stand. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's God's reading. Please be seated. Morning, Delta. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. It's good to be with you here this morning. Um, grab your Bibles and open them up. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this morning we're going to be looking at this idea uh, where the Apostle John is going to challenge us to test the spirits. Okay, And we're going to explain what that means and what that looks like. Uh, What does he mean by that word spirit and uh, things like that? But really what John is going to do is he's going to call us this morning uh, really not to just be gullible saps, um, to just believe anybody and everybody who comes along, comes our way, um, speaking in the name of Jesus, proclaiming to be of God, talking, um, um, saying that they have a message from God. John is going to really give us a healthy category for what good biblical, scriptural, spiritual skepticism actually looks like, okay? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Why don't you guys pray with me? Christ, you are the King, and because you are the King, you are worthy of all worship. My prayer is that as we turn our attention and hear you speak to us from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, that you would magnify your name this morning. God, your name is great, and it's by your name, believing in your name, that's where we find salvation. I pray salvation would come to those of us who are not saved, not right with the Father this morning. For those of us who are right, I pray that we would hear the words of Christ, and our hearts would be encouraged this morning by the words of Jesus proclaimed. May we leave this place boasting in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So whether this is a good thing or, or, a, or a bad thing, um, just something about me is this. My natural inclination um, when I first hear something new is to just be skeptical. And so as you can imagine, um, there, there has been some conflict um, over this in my household. 
um, whenever my wife and I are having conversations. So I've asked her if I could share this information. So she's given me the thumbs up that this is, this is good to go. Um, and so my, my wife and I have, mul- have had multiple um, fun conversations about this because unfortunately, um, when she comes to me, oftentimes just saying something new like, hey, I read this today, or what do you think about this? Or did you know I, I studied and researched this sort of thing? And she tells me what it is. Like my natural inclination on the inside is to be like, oh, come on, you know, like I don't like give her basically the benefit of the doubt. Like I just immediately jump to the conclusion like, man, are you, like, are you even telling me the truth right now? And uh, as you can imagine, this has caused um, some um, turmoil in our household, and um, we've had multiple fun conversations about this. Now, what's interesting is that my wife um, has never given me any reason to doubt her. Um, Like, I know her. I've been married to Tara for 14 years, and after 14 years of marriage, she's just proved that she's a woman of integrity over and over and over again. Um, She's a truth speaker. She is a fervent truth speaker. Love her. She has no motivation to deceive me. She loves me greatly. And like you would think these realities of my wife would lead me to the place where like it would begin to dull the edges of like my natural inclination to go towards towards skepticism. But sad to say it hasn't completely. And with this, the fault is mine. Um, I own I own that. Um, and so it's something that we just continue to work through um, in, our, in our marriage around this idea of me just being skeptical towards something new. But when it comes to this idea of skepticism, this idea of being skeptical, this idea of doubting the truthfulness of something, the Bible actually has a healthy category for this. And so when we come to 1 John, what we looked at the end of last week, at the end of chapter 3, The Apostle John explained to us that we can know that we abide in God and God abides in us. And we can know this, namely, by the Spirit of God whom He has given to us. So those who have the Spirit of God abiding in them, it's a sign that you are abiding in God. And the Apostle John says it's these Spirit-filled, God-abiding people who obey the command to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And now what the Apostle John is going to do is roll out of that reality at the end of chapter 3, and he's going to just come right into chapter 4 of verses 1 through 6. And what you get is one of the more unique passages of the Apostle John in this sense. It's almost just like its own little tangent, its own little parenthesis, its own little standalone teaching um, in regard to just like, hey, here's six verses. Let me explain to you this idea of what it looks like to be healthy, a spiritual, health, spiritually healthy skeptic. And what John knows is this. Yes, it's true that those who have the Spirit of God abiding in them are those who abide in God. It's these who are believing in the name of Jesus Christ, their only hope of salvation. But John also knows full well that there are many people in the world who claim to believe in the name of Jesus, who claim to have received God's Spirit, who then go around claiming to speak in God's name. But the truth is that their claims are really empty. Not everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit of God is to be believed, John says. Therefore, the children of God are to test these claims. And so what we have here is another test. Remember, we've been calling this first letter of John a book of tests. Over and over and over and over again, John is coming back to us and saying, listen, 
There's this love test. There's this belief test. There's this obedience test. You can know that you are genuinely in Christ, that you know God, that you're of the truth, that you're in the light. All these phrases he keeps using when you see these evidences in your life. True belief in Jesus. True love for others. Obedience to the commands of Christ. And what John is now doing is just simply giving us another test, the belief test. And he says what we're to do is really, just like I said at the very beginning, like we're not really to be gullible saps. We're not just naively go around believing everything that someone says merely because they mention the name of God, tack on the name of Jesus, and slap a Bible verse on the end of it. We're not just to bite hook, line, and sinker into what they're saying. And so in this sense, I think what John is showing us is he's, he's encouraging his readers, his readers originally, you and me, his readers here today, 2016, what it looks like to exercise healthy spiritual skepticism. We are to practice discernment when we encounter anyone who claims to speak in the name of God so that we can test and see if they are of the truth. And so when you look at verse 1, chapter 4, John starts off this way. He writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And why should we do this? Two commands. Do not believe, but do test the spirits. See whether they are from God. Why should we do this? Because in John's day and even in our day, even though we may not use this terminology, there are many false prophets, false teachers, people going around claiming to say they are from God, but the reality is, there is they are not from God. And so the Apostle John says they're everywhere. They're all over the place, and we need to be on guard in this manner. And so what God's children are to do is to test the spirits. So instead of being gullible and believing whatever anyone says, John gives us two commands. Do not believe every spirit, but do test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, John is going to use this word spirit quite a bit in these verses. And in my English translation here, there's a couple of times um, where um, the word spirit has a capital S. It's referencing the Holy Spirit. So you see that in verse 2, spirit of God. You see that at the end of verse 6, spirit of truth. So what John is doing is making a reference to the Holy Spirit himself. But there's six other times when the Apostle John uses that word spirit, lowercase s. And what John is helping us to see is that when he uses that word spirit in those lowercase sense, what he's doing is he's just describing someone who claims to speak in the name of God, a spiritual teacher, someone who comes around and says this, listen, I believe in Jesus, I'm speaking on his behalf, I have the spirit of God, you need to listen to me. That's what the idea is wrapped up in that little lowercase s spirit word that you see him use over and over and over again in these verses. But what John wants us to see and be aware of is that not every spiritual teacher is a credible teacher. And as a result, we must test them to see if the spirit they have actually comes from God. The teachers John is referring to are actually called pseudo-prophetai. Pseudonym, false name. In the original, it's pseudo-prophetai. They are false prophets, false teachers. They go around not marked by truth speaking, but they go around prophesying, teaching, proclaiming things, yes, in the name of God, but in reality, they are marked by falsehood. The teachers John is referring to is just, he, they're called 
false prophets, and it's a warning to them. Listen, they're everywhere, he says. They have gone out into the world. One writer says this, these false prophets are demonically inspired missionaries on satanic assignment. Just as Christ's people, those who are in Christ, have a great commission to go out and share Jesus, show Jesus, speak Jesus, so people can be saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, John is building a category and saying in the exact same sense that there are Satan's minions who have a great commission themselves to go out and, yes, speak, but what they're not going to do is just sneak into the church, sneak into our lives and say, listen, like, I'm a false prophet. You really don't need to listen to anything I'm about to say. Um, I'm trying to really lead you away from Jesus. Satan is too smart for those schemes. So what he does is he sends out his false prophets who have a great commission themselves. They're going to talk about God, speak the name of Jesus, quote Bible references, but the energizing spirit behind them is not Christ. It's actually anti-Christ is what John says. Just as our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, so these false teachers seek to do the same thing with their false teaching. They dress up their false words concerning the things of Christ with the garments of truth, but when you strip off their teaching and you look at it in its essence, it is just pure and absolute untruth. So when John comes around to us, he says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you an imperative. Here is a command. Do not believe every spirit, but do test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, these commands of warning just might feel a little archaic, right? Why should we not believe? Why should we test? John says this, because there's many false prophets going out in the world. And it's like, I don't know about you, but like I haven't seen many just like false prophets in the sense of like what I imagine a false prophet would look like, right? Like sort of got like a John the Baptist image, like someone with like crazy hair um, standing on the street corner, like the end is near placard, you know, like screaming and yelling at people like in like downtown, like New York or something, right? Like on Times Square. That's the kind of like idea I have in my mind of like these false prophets are just going out. Like the people you're like, man, that's probably, that person's probably just not all with it, right? We, sh- we shouldn't be listening to them. And so apparently there are people going around in John's day speaking things that are false. And John says, give them no street cred. Do not listen to what they are saying. But then we have to ask the question, I mean, like, what are we to do with this? I mean, I don't see many street um, or any, many false prophets standing on street corners of Springfield these days. Maybe I'm just in the wrong parts of town. Maybe they're in your, up in your neighborhood and they're not mine. But, like, I don't really see that much. But the fact is, what John is doing when he warns us of many false prophets have going out into the world, that's not something that was just applicable for the readers of his day, but it's very much applicable for us. Just because someone uses the name of Jesus in their everyday speech and claims to speak for God on any given matter doesn't necessarily mean they are from God. And the stomping ground for the modern-day false prophets of our time isn't necessarily the street corners of downtown and the street corners of our neighborhoods, but it's out there in the land of blogs, YouTube, and Facebook. One of the interesting things that I've bumped into whenever I've been pastoring, and I haven't been pastoring for very long, just coming up on my three-year mark, but some of the more disappointing conversations I've had in my very young pastorate have boiled down to someone just simply saying they disagree with the plain meaning of God's Word because of some articles they've read on some blog somewhere. 
Like, right, they come to me with a question, and it's like, well, how do we answer this? It's like, well, let's open our Bible. So it's like, this is God's Word. We're going to submit and give ourselves over to the authority of God's Word. Um, you know, here's your $3 word for, for the week, the perspicuity of Scripture. It's very clear. That's what perspicuity means. Scripture can be understood. We can know what God wants to say to us. We can learn it. We can read it. We can apply it. Let's go into it. So we open, we take the question, we run it against the grid of Scripture, and then what comes back is this, I don't really like what that says. And so then you follow up a couple of weeks later with a conversation with them, and what happens is this, we're like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I found this, insert YouTube video, I found this Facebook page, I found this blog article, and it says these sorts of things. And then when you just start unpacking, like, well, what, like, what are they saying? And the answer comes back, and it's like, well, like, man, I, I disagree. That's just really not what the plain meaning of Scripture has to say. And instead of receiving God's Word and submitting to God's Word from a teacher they knew within a community of believers, they shoved off into the abyss of the Internet, digging around until they found someone who agreed with whatever they wanted to hear. Now, I just need to hit pause real quick and just say this. Like, what I'm not saying is like the, the Internet is necessarily a bad source for us to use. Right? There are good and awesome men and women of God doing good and right things that are confessing Jesus rightly. They are living rightly. They are preaching rightly. These sorts of things. What I'm not doing is like trying to put like some you know, black X on the internet like it's of the devil or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, what's very unique in the verse 1 when he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not test the spirits. In the original language, those two commands are couched in the plural. And what that means for us is this. I think what John is saying is this isn't just some individual command you go off and do in some corner. Like, don't attempt to go and figure this out. Do not believe every spirit on your own over off in the corner. Do not attempt to test the spirits to see whether they are from God over from the corner. No, this is a community event. Be in the place where you know the one who is speaking the words of God. Be in the place where I know you and you know me. Be in the place where you know one another. Be in the place where you can hash these things out, not with some person who's off in the far corners of the Internet who you've never heard, have never seen. You don't know what's energizing them. You don't know what their desires are. You don't know what their motivations are. You don't know what their theology is. You don't know their take of Scripture. You don't know their take of Christ, and on and on and on. John is saying, listen, just don't be some gullible sap because you Googled a verse, a blog article came up, and you read it, and you're like, well, yeah, I agree with this. This is really sort of what I was wanting to hear. John says, don't be that way. Everyone has an opinion on something, and we will always be able to find someone who agrees with us and justifies our position if we just search long and hard enough on the World Wide Web. But just because they have an opinion on the matter, mention the name of Jesus, and sprinkle their response with references from the Bible doesn't mean they are from God. When it comes to these matters of spiritual, healthy spiritual skepticism, operating with healthy unbelief, you could say. What John is doing is telling us that our goal is to ultimately determine if these teachers are from God or if their origin is to be found in a different kind of spirit. Ultimately, we're just to be like the Bereans of Acts 17. Apostle Paul comes rolling into town, leaves Thessalonica, shows up in Berea. The Jews of Berea begin to listen to Paul preaching and teaching to them. And Luke records this for us. The Bereans received the word 
with all eagerness, but examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They recognized that behind every teacher there is an energizing spirit, and just because the Apostle Paul was teaching with power didn't mean they were going to unthinkingly receive everything he was saying hook, line, and sinker. I love it. It's just, it's just these two realities meshed together. The Apostle Paul comes in. He begins preaching Christ from the Old Testament. These Jews who would know their Old Testament began to see the realities of Christ. Jesus, the Savior, the man from Nazareth who is the Messiah, who suffered and died on the cross according to the Scriptures. And as their eyes are being revealed to it, they received these words with eagerness. But what they didn't do is go, check out the brain, not thinking They received with eagerness, yes, we hear what you're saying, but Paul, is that really what the Scriptures say? So they go open their Bibles and go, okay, he said that, where is that? Oh, Isaiah said this, okay, what about that? Oh, you go back to Moses and he's saying, and what they're doing is they're thinking with their Bibles open. John says our natural inclination is to think with their Bibles closed, and that's a bad place to be, very bad place to be. So what John is doing is calling us to simply be good Bereans, to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So if this is the case, the question then becomes, well, how do we do this? How do we test the spirits? John goes right there in verses 2 through 3. The answer is found in what John writes next, and he gives us the first test that we bump into in these verses, and it really revolves around this question. Test the spirits. Do you want to know if this spiritual teacher truly is from God? Ask them this. Go to them and find out this. Do they confess the true Jesus? Do they confess the true Jesus? Look what John writes, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spiritual teacher, every person who comes along claiming to speak on the Spirit of God, but this person does not confess Jesus. They do not confess Him as the Christ who has come in the flesh. This person is not from God. Actually, they are being energized by the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So John says this, test number one, true teachers confess the true Jesus according to how he has been revealed to us in the word of God. No more, no less. True teachers will hold fast and confess the true Jesus, the Jesus that we see described for us in God's word alone. The test which divides the false teachers from the true teachers revolves around the singular question, what do you believe about Jesus? If you want to just figure out someone like crazy fast, whether they're a teacher proclaiming from the the Word of God like I am, or whether you're just having a conversation with someone in the workplace, a lot of people are happy with God. A lot of people are happy with spiritual talk. But the moment that you zero in on Christ, Jesus, come in the flesh and ask them this question, what do you believe about Jesus? Christology. The theology of Jesus is one of the underlying common denominators of all other theology. What you think about Jesus affects everything. And John is saying this, go to them. It's not necessarily the test, but it is an extremely important test. What do you believe about Jesus? So when you have those questions with Christian scientists, when you have those questions and conversations with Jehovah's Witness, when you have these conversations with Mormons, they will use this language, we are Christian, 
But you ask them, tell me what you believe about Jesus, and their answer will not be the biblical Christ that we have in God's Word alone. Satan is no fool. He will come along. When you go and you talk to a Jehovah's Witness or you talk to a Mormon, they don't just take the Bible and just pitch it out. They have the Bible and then something else. Satan is not an idiot. He tries to pull people, no, look, we're Christian. We have the Bible, but then we need a little something else. And John is saying... Baloney. It's the Christ revealed according to the apostles and the prophets and nothing else. That describes the true Christ. What do they believe about Jesus? The way in which a person answers this question reveals whether or not they have the Spirit of God, John says. This is how we know if anyone who claims to speak by the Spirit actually has the Spirit of God. This person confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the person who has the Spirit of God. Now, it's just important to say that John isn't talking about just like the mere confession of words, right? Someone who just simply mouths the phrase, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Like anybody can just put those words in their mouth and say them. Like anybody can do that. John isn't describing mere lip service, like someone who gets up in front of the stage and like pulls out like a card and is like, what am I supposed to say again? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. See, this authenticates me. I'm, I'm, perfectly, I'm perfectly legit. You need to listen to everything I say. John isn't talking about mere lip service. John is describing life devotion to the realities of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Just because you can say something with your mouth doesn't mean you believe it with your heart. And for John to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is to declare personal belief in the full deity and full humanity of Jesus. And if that's just like a mind burner, then what I have is a beautiful answer for you. Because this coming Tuesday night, one of our pastors is going to unpack that very reality for us. How the man, Jesus Christ, is fully God and fully man, two natures coexisting in one person. John is basically saying this. That makes or breaks whether you're in Christ or anti-Christ. True, heartfelt belief in the full deity and full humanity of Christ. The evidence that someone is from God is found when the Spirit of God within them leads them to confess that the man Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. And John is just very plain. This kind of confession, this kind of belief, only originates from a heart which has been awakened by the Holy Spirit, which then tells us that they are actually have the Spirit within them, which then tells us that if they claim to speak on behalf of the Spirit of God, and then down the line it goes. The opposite side of this is verse 3. Anyone who does not confess Jesus in this way, they're just simply not from God. They're actually of the Antichrist because they are literally against Christ. That's what Antichrist means. So for all you end times buffs, like, right, and let, read the Left Behind series and all those sorts of things, right, like, this isn't, like, just some, like, end times figure that's going to come, like, give us, like, all world money and turn all the world government. Like, John isn't necessarily, what he's saying is this, that there is one who's coming, and at his core, he's just simply against Christ. And before he comes, he's coming. But before he comes, he's distributing his satanic missionaries throughout the world on a great great commission of their own, seeking to divide and devour and deceive. They're going out, and they're even now in the world, John says. 
Remember, when John uses that term world in this way, he's describing this present world system, which is under the control of Satan. This world is his sphere of influence. And as sure as the day is long, Satan, the Antichrist, he is coming. And even now, his devilish, Christ-denying missionaries are present. And what happens is at times as we just lift our eyes and we look around, we just begin to wonder like, man, like what hope do we have against this satanic opposition which just seems to consume everything and be everywhere in this world in which we live? At times, the satanic opposition, the world system that daily assaults us, the false teachers that seek to seduce us away from Jesus, the faulty worldviews that just are constantly thrown at us, begging us to believe them and confuse us, and even our own sinfulness, which yearns to enslave us, at times it can just seem so overwhelming. And at times it can seem so powerful and so great that we wonder if if it will ever know defeat. But John, with encouraging words of great confidence, lifts our weary hearts to see that the Antichrist is not the final victor. God's children have a champion, a source of power that all these enemies from hell cannot overcome. And that's where John goes next with verse 4. It's true, yes, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already, but little children, verse 4, what you need to be reminded of and cling to and know to be true as a promise for you because you're in Christ is this, you are from God. And as a result of you being in God, you have overcome them, he says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God's children have the victory through the Spirit. And John wants us to remind, be reminded of this as we live out our days in the world. John once again dresses his readers as little children, reminds them they're from God, but as a result of this, they've overcome. They've overcome the world, they've overcome false teachers, and they've overcome those who are of the spirit of the Antichrist. The false prophets of John's day were doing all they could to deceive and overcome John's readers, but in the end, his readers did not succumb to their devilish schemes. Remember, go back to chapter 2. This is exactly what Pastor Tom was preaching to us several weeks ago. There are those who went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Why? Because this, you do not, I, I write to you, he says, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So what he's just simply saying is this, there's those people who are coming around and what they're trying to do is get us to believe these things, but you have not succumbed to their devilish schemes. And instead of experiencing defeat at the hands of these satanic ambassadors, these believers tasted victory over them, actually. And John says, this is all because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, the world is strong. Yes, the false teachers are wise. And yes, the devil is great. But our God is stronger. Our God is wiser. Our God is greater, greater than he who is in the world. 
And not only is our God who knows everything greater than our heart, He's also greater than the enemy of our soul. And this one who is infinitely stronger, infinitely wiser, infinitely greater now and forever is the one who actually takes up residence in you. He abides in you. So for those of us who genuinely belong to God as a result of believing in the name of Jesus, we have the promise that God abides in us by the Spirit. And this means the victory which belongs to our great champion is victory which now belongs to you because he resides in you. It's these realities that John just wants us to see so that we may walk in the victory which is ours in Christ. I mean, grasp the gravity of this. For those of us who are here in Christ, God the Spirit abides in you right now. Takes up residence in you. Could live anywhere, but he's living inside of you. And this has implications. Victory for you. Because he is the champion. He will not be undone. He will not be overcome. He is leading us and guiding us in these ways to rightly understand how to test the Spirit so that when something funky comes across our radar, and it's like, man, that just sort of sounded right, but there was just something a little bit different going on there. In that moment, I would call that the Holy Spirit discernometer is just shooting through the roof inside you so that you just don't go biting hook, line, and sinker into just whatever someone is peddling and pushing your way, saying, hey, believe this without thinking. The Holy Spirit's going, man, this has antichrist against Christ written all over it. Don't buy into this. So what even this reality of verse 4 does is it reminds us and brings us back to the goodness of God's grace in us. Because we can't stand up and go, look how wise we are. We've overcome the false teachers. John goes, no, even your ability to overcome is complete Christ-reliance, Spirit of God working in you. Now what John does from this is he just simply moves on to his last words, which are ultimately another test. Not only can we distinguish a false teacher from a true teacher by their confession of Jesus, but we can also do so by examining who listens to their message. So John says, brothers and sisters in Christ, test the spirits. Let me give you a test. What is their confession of Christ? You need to know the Antichrist is in the world. Take heart. The world's not going to overcome you. You actually in Christ, by the Spirit of God in you, have overcome them. So now let me give you a second test, another way to help you understand who are these demonic, satanic ambassadors seeking to undo you. First question was, do they confess the right Jesus? This question could be, do these teachers draw the right crowd? Look at who is listening to their message, John is saying to them. Look at verses 5 and 6. John says, little children, you are from God, but what you need to know about these false teachers, verse 5, is this. They are from the world, though. Therefore, they speak from the world, the world listens to them. We, true apostles, true teachers in Christ, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Here's that test language. By this we know the spirit of truth over and against the spirit of error. I mean, John, once again, is just painting with black and white. These teachers 
with the spirit of Antichrist. They're marked by the spirit of error. Their origin is from the world. They speak from the world, and as a result, the world listens to them. In a nutshell, their origin, their message, and their audience reveal not from God. They're not drawing the right crowd, basically. Look at who is flocking to listen to what they're saying. People who are just completely not in Christ. That should be an indicator to you. That their message isn't from God. They themselves are not from God. But on the other hand, John says, but we are from God. We are marked by the spirit of truth. And with this, John is making a reference to himself as one who is a true teacher. That we there isn't necessarily you and I, but it's we. We the teachers John is talking about. We are from God. And we can know that John speaks with the Spirit of God by looking at those who listen to his message. John says, for whoever knows God listens to us, the apostles, the true teachers. And whoever is not from God, they're not listening to us. Now, when you stumble across verses 5 and 6 completely out of context, what you bump, what your, your first thought might just be this, man, that's like just smacks of like great arrogance. Right? John going, don't listen to them. Look at all those buffoons. Listen to them. Listen to me. This obviously means I'm the right teacher. You know, you can sort of see him standing there, cape blowing, you know, big, big red letter A, super apostle on his chest, you know. It's, it's like, what's that about, you know? Not them guys, us, because you can guarantee those guys are over there in their own little church service going, don't listen to John, listen to us. So it's like, what, what is going, what's going on here? John is just merely following in the footsteps of Jesus. If you haven't figured it out yet, the same guy who wrote 1 John is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And if you're not reading 1 John and reading the Gospel of John together, you're just doing yourself a great, great disservice. There is so much overlap there. If you want to know sort of the source and inspiration of where John is getting all this stuff, just go read the Gospel of John. You see a lot of Jesus' teachings from the Gospel of John or become the foundational underpinnings for all the stuff he's saying in his letters. This is no difference. John chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus says this, The one who is from God listens to God's words. John chapter 10, Jesus teaches that his sheep hear his voice and that everyone who is on the side of truth listens to him as he witnesses to the truth. So the apostle John is looking at this makes some connections, and says, listen, we know this. We, as apostles, teachers, we are from God. We have the signs and the evidences of these things in our life. We're rightly obeying God. We're rightly believing Christ. We're rightly loving the brothers and sisters in Christ out of the overflow of the love we've experienced in God, in Christ. So we know we're from God, and as a result, the Spirit of God lives within us, and as a result, we speak the words of God. And then he lifts his eyes and he looks at his audience and says, well, look, you guys are from God. We see the way you're obeying the commands, the way that you're loving others, the way that you're believing rightly about Jesus, which tells us that the Spirit of God is living in you. And the Spirit of God is enabling you to discern His own voice as He's speaking through us. 
And so the way that we know that we're both in God and we're both have the Spirit of God, we're both speaking and hearing and listening rightly, is all coming down and being rooted in the Spirit in us, awakening our hearts to these realities. So John says it's by this we know the Spirit of truth, distinguished from the Spirit of error. Again, it's not because we're so smart or we're so wise. It's because of the Spirit of God within us. Again, great sign of God's grace in our lives. Now, what John is just simply doing is this. He's just teaching us that there's a direct connection between God's word and God's people. That's what he's doing. Direct connection between God's word and God's people. Those who truly know God by believing in the name of Jesus listen to those who were with Jesus and commissioned by him as true teachers. That's what John is saying right now. Those who truly know God. So he's talking to his readers right now. Listen, this is how you can truly know you're in God and I'm truly in God. Those who truly know God, because they're in Christ, they're believing, trusting, resting in the name of Jesus as their only hope of salvation. It is these people who then in turn listen to those who were with Jesus, the Apostle John, commissioned by him, the Apostle John, as a true teacher. Another way you can say it is this. God's people listen to God's Word, and their desire, their thirst, their longing for God's Word, as spoken by the apostles and prophets in God's Word, shows that they really are God's people. God's people listen to God's Word, and their desire for God's Word is an indicator that they're truly God's people. Direct connection between God's Word and God's people. Now, this just raises the question. I mean, it's was firing around and rumbling around in my mind is this. Well, that's great for the Apostle John to be able to say that. 2,000 years ago, like where he could like lay down his pen and actually look at the people he's talking to, where he says, listen, if you're listening to me, this is a sign that you are actually from God, that you have the Spirit. But my question is this. It's like, how, how do we do that 2,000 years plus removed from the apostles and the prophets? Like, I can't just go and listen to them necessarily speak and teach audibly like John was talking about here. So how can you and I listen to the apostles and prophets when they have been dead for 2,000 plus years? And the answer is found right here. This is why it's so important to have a healthy and right doctrine of Scripture. These aren't the mere musings of men ink on paper. This is the very self-revelation of God speaking to us through men down from the ages so that we may know everything we need for faith and good works. Right here in the Scriptures. If you want to obey this command, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. What we are to do is to look to the very word of God, Genesis to Revelation, nothing else, and say, I see the very hand of God in this, on this. I see God himself through this. I want to know God. Then we're to read our scriptures. I want to hear what the apostles have to say to us. We read the scriptures. I want to hear what the prophets have to say to us. I want to listen to them. What we do is we go to the scriptures. There's a reason why we hold the word of God at such a premium here in our church. It's for that reason right there. 
There's a reason why we submit ourselves to the teaching and application of God's Word. There's a reason why I desire to be a man who preaches the Word of God week in and week out, exposing us to the text of God's self-revelation to His people because this reason right here, the preaching of God's Word is the means by which we listen to the apostles and prophets today. You don't need to hear just what I have to say about stuff. What you need is, and what I need is someone to go, what has God said on the issue? And that's why I give myself over to the realities of expositional preaching, seeking to expose to you what the apostles and the prophets have said to us about the things of God. Expositional preaching is the thing, preaching through books of the Bible, verse by verse, Chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, thought by thought, going from Genesis to Revelation, giving ourselves over to the consecutive teaching and preaching of God's Word, we do this as our cherished mode of operation at Delta because it exposes what the apostles and the prophets have had to say to us. And as one pastor put it, when we listen to the Word of God expositionally preached, we're listening to the apostles, we're listening to the prophets, and ultimately we're listening to God Himself. The sustenance of Christ's people is the word of God. The strength of Christ's church is the word of God. The hope of a world which is hopeless is found in the word of God. Why? Because the word of God centers on the heart of God. And the heart of God centers on the glory of God. And the glory of God centers and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Why do we go to this thing here? Because it's all about Jesus Genesis to Revelation, all about Christ. Why do we seek to memorize? All about Christ. Why do we seek to read? All about Christ. Why do we seek to understand? All about Christ. Why do we seek to disciple with the Word? Because it's all about Christ. Why do we counsel with the Word? Because it's all about Christ. Why do we disciple one another? Because it's all about Christ. Why do we sing the Word? Because it's all about Christ. Why do we pray the Word? Because it's all about Christ. Why do we preach the Word? Because it's all about Christ. Every dot, every tittle, every I, every T, everything about Christ. If we forsake the word, if we walk away from the word, we're walking away from the very fountain of spiritual life, the thing which points us to Christ. This is the reason why Paul so strongly charged Timothy to preach the word. Second letter of Timothy, Paul's writing Timothy about to die. Like it's a swan song. Like the guy could have said anything. Like I'm about to die. Like what you say when you're about to die is really important to you. And he could have said anything to Timothy. But some of the last words lingering on the lips of the Apostle Paul who has devoted himself to the proclamation of the word is this, Timothy, I emphatically charge you, do not fail to do this. Preach the word. Give yourself to the word. Do not forsake the word. Why, Paul? Why is this the emphatic challenge on your lips as you are about to die? Paul says this, there is a time coming. I dare say we're living in these days. There is a time coming 
Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so Paul's looking at Timothy saying, listen, be sober-minded. Don't drift off into this place. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Do not be counted among the lot who took God's word and belittled it, eventually finding yourself so far from the things of Christ that it becomes evidence that you are never from God, speaking from God, finding yourself in a place of God. John says this is why we must not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. So let me just end with these two questions, two questions that come in really the form of a challenge. If you're a believer here this morning, you can just ask yourself this question, am I listening to true teachers? Jonathan, hold the mirror up to this. I'm looking into the mirror of this question. Jonathan, are you listening to true teachers? Am I just sort of naively bumbling and stumbling through life, just receiving anybody who claims Jesus and tacks a Bible verse on the end of it? Or am I thinking Christianly in this way? Do I believe every spirit that comes my way, or do I test the spirits to see whether they are from God? Am I listening to true teachers? And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we press into God as we exercise a healthy level of critical thinking with a Bible in our hand and the Spirit of God in your heart. Listen, you have what it takes to do this. And this isn't self-help stuff I'm saying right now. You are equipped with a Bible in your hand and the spirit of the living God within you to fulfill the commands that John is giving us. To think. I just heard what John said. Like, this is even applicable now. Like, don't just walk out of here going, well, Pastor John said it. Like, this is even applicable to you listening to me in these moments. You have what it takes to be able to go, I just heard what he said. What does the Bible have to say about this? And the Spirit of God living within us will help us to work these things out. That's encouraging news. Like, God isn't saying, man, don't be deceived, and I really don't know how this is going to work out. I just sort of hope you sort of like skate in the heaven like by the skin of your teeth. Whoa, like that was a close one. No, he's saying you can walk confidently in these things because the Spirit of God in you, Bible in your hand, you have the tools of what it takes to live out these commands in a Christ-honoring, Christ-pleasing, Christ-relying sort of way. Are you listening to true teachers, believers? For those of us who are here this morning, unbelievers, Maybe you have doubts and you have questions and you're just trying to work through all this stuff. You're like, man, like what was the point this morning? False prophets and teachers, like I'm just still trying to wrestle with this Jesus thing. Instead of you asking the question or responding in a way, am I listening to true teachers? John comes along and says, listen, there's a response for you as well. And it's not so much you asking yourself the question, am I listening to true teachers? But it's asking yourself this question, do I trust the true Jesus? Am I in the place where I am confessing the true Christ? See, wherever you're at in your life journey, you need to know that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John chapter 4, verse 2. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And what John has already said earlier, the good news about Jesus Christ having come in the flesh 
is that we can know the reason why he did this, the reason why he appeared, was to take away sin. The good news for you is this. This morning, you can know salvation in the sinless one who took your sin on him so that you could be made right with the Father. And so the question that you need to ask yourself and you need to wrestle and fight to find an answer to is this. Do I trust? Do I confess the true Jesus? And the answer is this. This morning could be a day where you find an answer to that. And so what we're going to do is just close in prayer. The band is going to, going to come. I'm just going to pray for us that as we respond to God's word in these moments, that it'll be these two questions just lingering in our mind and that whatever God is calling us to do in obedience to it, we'd walk in obedience. Let's pray.